Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Adrian Manning. Adrian is the Chief Operating Officer at Coats Hire, Australia's largest equipment rental company with a history that spans over 130 years. Adrian has worked from the ground up, been involved with companies such as Acme Hire, St. George Hire, National Hire, Kennards Hire, and now Coats Hire. Adrian, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you got into the equipment rental industry? Sure, Mark. Happy to. Um, my first job in hire was with a company called Acme Hire, which was based in Carlton in the southern suburbs of Sydney. It was a general rental business, did a bit of party hire. And uh, I did that when I was going to uni. Um, uh, Acme was bought out by St. George Hire and I, uh, I got to step up there. It's where rental sort of went next level for me. And I got to work with the, uh, the, the team up at the Bexley Depot, Forest Road Bexley, which was uh, you know, the Wallace family business and a fantastic experience. So yeah, that's how I started. So when you got into it while you were in doing your studies, was it like a, were you introduced to it by somebody or was it something that you went on your own initiative? Like how did you get involved yeah, in it? Uh, 100%, I had a, I had a mate, a uh, guy called Simon Johnson uh, and, and Simon introduced me. He worked there casually and uh, we were both at Teachers College together. So yeah, he introduced me to a guy called John Metcalf who owned the Acme business. Um, and yeah, that, that's how I started just, uh, Casual, you know, truck driver, yardie, you know, wash pad, cleaning, building dance floors, sticking up marquees, um, whatever it really took, you know, just, just, you know, real grassroots, fundamental rental stuff, which was awesome. And so what was your studies? Did that end up relating to anything you've done in your career or how did that sort of fit into the picture? Um, I'm, a, I'm a woodwork and metalwork teacher. So it was called industrial arts. I think it's more now known as design and technology. So I'm a secondary school teacher, essentially. I, I did do a little bit of teaching that came later on in the career. Eventually thought I better go and leverage uh, the, the degree to some extent. But I think you, you do learn a lot of things there about um, working with people, et cetera, that's come in handy. Uh, albeit I only spent two years of my working life teaching. And then, so talk me through the evolution to where you've got to today with Coats Hire. Like, how, how did that, those roles, were you a branch? Did you end up going to a branch manager? Was there a merger? Like, what, what happened there? Uh, all of the above, Mark. So um, there was lots of mergers, I think, around this sort of time. So Acme was bought by St. George and then uh, St. George Hire, which had uh, four depots at that point. It got together with Stephen Donnelly and uh, a guy called uh, Gary Butler, and they put their business together, and that formed the nucleus of National Hire. That was probably around 89, 90, something like that. And then uh, just super blessed to work in and around those sort of guys. So the Wallace family, you know, learned so much from those guys. Um, really great grounding. Can't speak highly enough of, of, of the family generally, but, but Neil Wallace in particular you know, good mates with Neil and, uh, you know, he taught me, you know, most of what I learned in those early years. And then, you know, to, to, to work within the national high business uh, under Stephen Donnelly's uh, tutelage, pretty, pretty unique experience. National got on a bit of a roll, uh, worked with guys like Greg Parford and a whole collection of names will probably come across. Um, some, of, some of them have been on your podcast, Mark, some of them are probably about to be on your podcast, but, um, you know, guys like, yeah, Shane Horvath, um, 
you know, with Canelli, different different guys at different times, I guess. But a whole a whole range of really, you know, lucky to come come across a whole range of of fantastic guys. Greg Parfit, um, pretty instrumental fella in that whole process as well. So National Hype was um, I did that for four years. Then eventually I did go teaching, as I mentioned. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, and then uh, I kind of missed the hire and uh, went went back to National. Um, I distracted myself for a little while. I got I got interested in uh, racing sailboats. Tried to go to the Olympics, which was a bit of a interesting uh, sideline. Super lucky to have um, National High's support there. I was a general manager, a guy called Ron Lawson, who was a massive influence. Um, and he, he sort of gave me a part-time job. And, and uh, whilst I'd stepped through the branch manager roles and all those sort of things, I did a project sort of based role for, for Ron and you know, stock takes, QA accreditation, really whatever he needed done. And I got to do blocks of work, which let me you know, sort of pursue my, uh, my sailing sort of piece. Got to, got to work under a guy called Victor Kovlenko doing that, which was, which was pretty cool. Victor's a pretty successful yachting coach. He probably taught me a little bit about best practice and different stuff there. So and then eventually, I guess, um, I, uh, I ended up in a, in a sort of a head office job at National as it kept growing and we kept, we did a few acquisitions and things, things, uh, Atomic Hire, uh, Corjix Hire, um, some different businesses and ended up in a, in a corporate role, which was great, um, a different side of the business. Then I probably got a bit lonely for direct P&L accountability and uh, I spoke to Bill Whitehouse one day and ended up at, at going across the Kennards for a couple of years, which again, you know, fantastic business and I guess, um, you know, another great set of experiences, but came back to the, I'll, I'll say the National Coats business. It had, it had merged while I was at, at Kennards there. And that, I guess, a different set of experiences again, much bigger business, um, a, a different animal, a lot more corporate focused and a, a lot more, I, I guess, just different learnings for me, Mark. So um, different disciplines, you know, some things stepped up, some things, some things are very similar between different, different rental businesses, but I think the industry was professionalizing. So more than just one business versus another, I think uh, as the industry's matured across that, whatever it's been too many years to count, yeah, it, it's the industry's come a long way as well. So I, th I think it's been a, a pretty unique sort of set of experiences. So the good thing about it, mate, I, I have uh, I've had the opportunity to do most sort of hands-on roles in the business. So starting as a casual, as I said, with the wash bay and you know sales coordinator, branch manager, regional manager, general manager, we're all just we're all just folks getting a job done at the end of the day. Um, I know Bezo, when you had him on the podcast, he spoke about the pragmatic nature of, of the rental industry and the folks in it. And I think he, he nailed it. And uh, it doesn't really matter what your role is. It's, it's just about getting that customer served at the end of the day. Yeah, no, he explained it really well. I, th I think he said it, it isn't like the most pretty industry out there. It's not super luxury, but it's like, it's about working together to head to the same destination in terms of uh, achieving goals together and, it's a, it's a very, and, and everyone sort of knows this in rental, like everyone knows each other. Like it's, you can't really hide. And, and I guess like you have a, have had a consistent career progression. Like, what do you put that down to? Was that something that like you have always had in you or was it more, you had the right mentors around you? Like talk me through that process. Uh, I think I was, I think I was actually pretty lucky, Mark. So look, I did get to work with, as I said, some, some pretty important 
people, I guess, in, in my personal journey. Um, but I, I got to work, as I said, go back to the Wallace family, gave me a great grounding in rental, full stop. You know, their business became part of National as, as we talked through. So opportunities just came came about because of that. So you got the opportunity to step up into branch management roles, et cetera, as, as branch as the branch managers at the time moved into area management or regional management roles. So the industry was pretty alive. There were a lot of transactions going on and opportunities just kept presenting. So I guess I probably believe you make your own luck to a certain extent. And, and I'd, I'd like to think I, I you know, had a decent crack as well. So hopefully, um, hopefully it wasn't just complete luck, but you know, you, you do make your own luck to some degree, but I was just lucky to be around the right opportunities, working with the right mentors in the right environment and, one thing just led to another. And I, I think um, it might not be, I guess the fluidity of, of, the, of the industry's progression probably goes in, in stages and that might've been a particularly active stage. And, and we might have different stages now where perhaps it slows down a little bit and not as many uh, opportunities might present, but then something else will happen. You know, we've, we've seen, um, you know, the national high business sort of formed because GKN was coming to Australia and folks were worried about this big multinational. Well, you know, who's, who's to say that, um, you know, other offshore participants don't come to Australia again? And, you know, who, who knows what future uh, M&A activity looks like? So I think, um, I think it's a really exciting industry. I think if you work hard and, um, you know, if you keep learning um, and keep putting your hand up as well, be prepared to travel, be prepared to take on different jobs, think opportunities will, will present for for you and uh and i've been lucky enough to, to probably grab my share of that and, and i guess having been through that career progression and and been fortunate enough to get those opportunities working uh, uh, as the chief operating officer at coats hire do you sort of almost like give back and, and realize all right we've, we've noticed this employee is going above and beyond we need to figure out how we can put him in another role potentially or give him other opportunities. Yeah, we definitely do. Um, I think the challenge sometimes is just getting the alignment right. So, yeah, we, we, we've got an eye on talent and there's, there's, we're, we're blessed at Coates. We've got a lot of, um, you know, really clever people and a lot of, a lot of folks that work real hard, very committed. So um, we're probably not too short on the talent front um, and finding enough opportunity for all those folks isn't always easy. And that's where I guess the individual's propensity to put their hand up and move geographies or try different things, um, move around the, the, the business, um, maybe move disciplines. So, you know, operational people moving into sales and vice versa, business unit folks moving into support uh, sort of roles, support office roles. I think there's a lot to be gained from looking at the at, at the same game, if you like, from different angles. So when 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 individuals are probably more uh, prone to, I guess, learning and, and being challenged, be it by a different discipline or a different geography, that's that's when we get, to, uh, I guess, stronger progression on that career planning stuff. And I guess going all the way back to the Acme Hire days or St. Jo- St. George Hire days. To Coatsire. Coatsire is now one of the largest hire businesses in the world. Uh, back then, small organization, like what were the different types of challenges like that you faced in those early days compared to the challenges that you face today? Uh, good question. Um, so I guess uh, early days, probably more 
the, the roles were more transactional in terms of you know, the customer's in front of you, he's on the phone with you, and you're just trying to help that, uh, that customer to the best of your ability with whatever resources your organization's got, whatever capabilities you or the organization had. As, as time's gone on, probably the, yeah, and the jobs have changed a little bit. I think there's been a real, I think there's actually a natural shift. We sort of move from jobs where we, which are largely reactive. So if you think about most um, customer serving frontline folk, sales or operational, you know, customers stimulating a response and, and you're having to, you know, to basically respond quickly. And that's probably 80% of the job, it's probably 80% reactionary and 20% you know, planning ahead. Now, the further, as a sales coordinator, as an example, or a high controller, whatever the, the, the language might be, as you move up, as you get into a branch management role, a little bit more planning, a little bit less reaction. As you're an area manager, more planning again, a little bit less reactionary. So eventually you end up with a job. So my, my last couple of roles have probably been the reverse. It's probably more about 80% proactive thinking ahead, planning ahead type activity and 20% on the responsive side. So it's probably the, the reciprocal of where, of where the career started. I think, and I think both, both ends of the deal are absolutely critical. You need folks looking ahead, but gee, you've got to look after the customer that's standing with you right now. So I don't think one's more important than the other, but it's, it's probably just that shift in, uh, you know, in activity, if you like. Yeah. And I guess sometimes people forget that when they're a manager, they can't be doing the job as well at the same time. And so they're almost micromanaging sometimes. And so it's, you got to like mentor the person that might be getting promoted to a branch manager or an area manager or whatever it might be to make sure that they're managing their team and not micromanaging is probably the simple way of putting it. Yeah. That's spot on comment. I mean, it's about pretty quickly you realize it's about getting the best out of the group, not, you know, your individual contributions just part of the equation. So, uh, and obviously that, that flexes in different, in different roles as you progress as well. So I think that's a hundred percent right. And so you, you mentioned the, the national hire and the Kotai merger, maybe just wanted to talk through, that was probably one of the most significant moments in, in, uh, in the Australian hire history with those two companies to coming together. Like what was, you mentioned that you were outside of the business when that happened, but what was your involvement in the merger? And maybe just wanted to, there's a lot of people that were involved in that that probably listened to this podcast as well. Do you want to just talk through like what happened in that merger and what was sort of the outcome of that merger? Uh, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, it, it is a real defining moment for, for our industry, I guess. Um, so when the deal actually went down, I, I had moved across um, to work with Bill and the team at Kennards at that point. Um, but, I'd, but I'd been on the build up side, if you like, in the growth of the national high business um, so I probably, I wasn't surprised to see the transaction happen, but I, I was on the other side of the fence at the time. Now, I guess whenever, whenever these things happen, um, so we, we should probably recall that the Coates National thing has happened after the Coates Rec Air thing. So that happened, I think, 04 and the, you know, the Coates National was 08. So I think, I think we need to probably realize that there's, um, the market's always gonna require two players at a, at a national sort of uh, level, if you like. So you're never gonna have much of an opportunity to have one single national player. I, I just don't think that's realistic. Um, so today, you know, you know, Coates has lots of competition and we, uh, 
you know, we have lots of arm wrestles, I guess, with a number of competitors, but uh, Onside and Canards are probably two of the larger competitors that, that um, you know, are there, but there's a long list of, uh, of regional and specialist players that we're very conscious of as well. So I think from my perspective, you know, being at Canards at that point, you know, mergers don't always go well. Um, not all customers are well attended to. So there's always a bit of spillage um, and probably saw that from the Kennard side. And look, ultimately, it, it was a little bit, I'll, I'll use the word choppy water. There was some, uh, it wasn't a smooth transition in all ways. Uh, and that's why I had the, the great fortune of being invited back to the Coates business to take up uh, a role looking after their, their Queensland business unit, uh, which was around uh, 09, uh, early 09. So there was some other stuff that folks probably haven't, an awareness of too that internally within codes they've just gone through this quite traumatic experience called project 64 or p64 so it sounds like an old Leyland car but it was um if, if you recall the prestige business the shawco business and the codes business so it, those three those three brands if you like but the codes business had four business units within that you know north south east west is how the, the business is arranged um, so those four plus the other two specialties were the six business units. So that's the six in Project 64. And they were basically stripping away the specialization to push the specialists into those four geographic BUs. Now that was pretty traumatic. And I think, I think that caused, um, you know, whilst, whilst it had some short-term uh, financial reasons to do it um, for, the, for the Coates board at that time, it probably did a bit of long-term damage to the business and then then throw the national, um, you know, the merger with national, which was actually a reverse takeover. The little business national bought the big guy, which was unusual as well. Um, so it was quite a lot of turmoil there between Project 64 that predated national and then national and codes coming together. So I guess that's what led to, um, I guess, an opportunity for me to join the codes business. Now, the, the good news is, there's always an upside. There's always uh, to any problem, there's an opportunity. And I think that's that's where the Coates business, um, where it settled down and it had a very, very strong management team. There was a lot of strength at National Hire and there was a lot of strength at Coates. So uh, notwithstanding the challenges that were real and absolutely caused a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, turmoil at the time, um, the business bounced through that fairly quickly and not long after um, we sort of ran into you know the mining boom the resource boom and you know off it went like uh, like a bit of a rocket ship so yeah I think it was um, <laughs> quite a traumatic time lots of lessons out of it interesting to see the deal almost from both sides being outside initially or being inside to watch the build-up of national then being outside when it happened and then being invited back into a a new insight in the Coates family to, to take the business forward. I think something that it's obviously a, a negative in terms of uh, the, the challenges that you guys went through during that period, but the positive that I definitely see out of this in the long term for the, the hire industry, just in general, some people left the business, some people left the business later on. Um, some people obviously still there for a very long time, but the, the Coates brand and the Kennard's brand and a bunch of other companies as well have really allowed the industry to, to formulate uh, a large number of experts in the industry. And the, the, the skills in rental 
wouldn't be built up if these companies didn't exist. And I think that merger is a really good example of maybe some of the, maybe some of the people did disperse out, but that meant that there was another lot of people that moved out of the business that had these skills. And I think it's, it is not many people talk about this, but it, it, there is a lot of people that have been associated with national hire or coats hire in the past uh, that run their own companies today. And they wouldn't be able to do that if they weren't originally associated with either of those companies potentially. I think that's right, mate. You, you certainly learn a lot. You're exposed to a lot. And we probably don't realise how lucky we are to get exposed to so many different situations, be it the M&A piece, yeah, the various uh, corners of our business. You're, you're across a lot of different um, streams, if you like, within a lot of the roles that we do within rentals. So, um, you know, I think other industries, the roles are a little bit more specialist and you probably know your slice of the business. But... Um, we definitely get a broader exposure in, in the rental industry. And yeah, look, a lot of people move in a lot of ways, but I think a lot of folks learnt a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things as well. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity. If someone moves out of a role, there's, there's a great opportunity for someone else to step up. So, you know, even that re-energising of, of, of business, I think that's the refreshing of, of different roles. I think that's important too. So it's... Um, I don't know. I don't know how to how to best characterise that that particular deal. It was a big deal, and all, you know, equally the coach record one would have been very very similar. So you know, there's a certain amount of if you're going to make an omelette, you're going to break some eggs, right? That's just a certain reality to transactions of that size. But it's probably where the business comes out the other side. And um, did they get the right answer? And I think I think they actually did. So certainly feels like that uh, whatever 10 years on uh, it's certainly ancient history and more uh, probably more focused on where Coates is going as opposed to where it's been so exactly yeah and so that's gonna be my follow-up question so after that merger in 2008-2009 process where it all sort of settled down uh, today like what's the difference between Coates are in 2010 and Coates are in 2021 good question I think I think, uh, well, look, we're, we're owned, uh, we're wholly owned by SGH now, the Seven Group Holdings business. Now, that that just means, I guess, you know, we get exposed to a, a different a different way of operating again. Um, and obviously, you know, SGH is an ASX-listed business. Some pretty clever guys, uh, you know, own the majority or, or own the controlling share, Ryan Stokes, and his management team, there's some very clever folks there and they're very disciplined about how they approach business. And we learn from that. And, you know, they challenge us hard. Um, and sometimes that's not always easy, but, you know, you learn and they make you improve. So I think the industry's matured. Our business processes have matured. Our customers have matured. If we, if we reflect on how the, the rise of the procurement uh, professional within our larger customers, that's massively different over that decade. How they go to market, what they're looking for, what's important to them you know, in the safety space, in the technology space, you know, what 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 constitutes good value, what constitutes um, you know a really top class customer experience from their side, is absolutely different today to what it was ten years ago. So. I think there's a lot of things playing into that. Not, not one thing has shifted coats, but the industry's matured, the customers have matured, um, business has got smarter. 
we're, we're owned by some some pretty strong owners that um, you know have some pretty high expectations. So I guess the bar just keeps going up, Mark, is probably the the summary, but um, a whole different range of inputs driving that. Yeah, and so talking about change, I, I, I saw online that that Kotai won the 2020 Sitecore uh, Experience Award for its customer-facing digital platforms, which I think is called Hire Now uh, as, as one of the areas. So what exactly is these are these digital platforms and applications? Look, um, anybody at Coates that's listening to me talk about technology is probably having a giggle because I'm, uh, I'm clearly more of an operational fellow than... Uh, you know, I guess a technologist, but um, Sitecore really, it's, it provides, it's a, it's a great basis and I appreciate your background in technology. So you can, you can chip in and help me answer your own question, but um, it provides the capability, if you like, from which our e-commerce platform, which we call High Now is, is, is based. Um, but it helps us feed things like um, telemetry data, et cetera, into that platform. And we use that same platform to then feed back internally to our sales team. So very flexible um, and helps us, the Sitecore platform helps us, I guess, solve complex business challenges in a reasonably simple way. Um, the fact that we can bend it around internally, externally, the same sort of data. Now, I do think it's, it's an increasing part, part of that, uh, I guess, maturing of the industry, how technology plays out in terms of our customers' expectations around what constitutes a reasonable digital experience for them that bar keeps going up too. Uh, so Sitecore has been instrumental in helping us try and meet that uh, ever raising bar. So it's essentially it's a content management system. I think it's pretty well known as a, as a like a best in breed sort of solution, but it just provides us that, that flexibility to, um, to solve those complex business processes. Yeah, I think there's not many players in the world that obviously Coates is one of them, Kenneth is another, United Rentals, and there's a couple of others out there that have a proper full e-commerce platform where people can rent things online and have live availability of their equipment and like reserve things. Well, most people have like a website where you you put in your, your make model combination or your type of equipment and it sends an email and someone needs to manually go do something. I think this is sort of the next two to five years I can see more and more companies heading in this direction. And obviously Kotai is taking that step forward to try and uh, really build up that customer experience journey even further. Yeah, no, 100%. I think uh, if we look backwards, you know, we, you've had a couple of guys on your pod podcast talk about, you know, the implementation of technology and getting off paper-based handwritten rental contracts and actually, you know, starting to use computers. This is, this is just the next evolution. So, um, I guess it just, it's that bar going up piece again. Um, this is just going to become normal, standard. It's, it's, what, it's how you expect to transact in other industries and other parts of our lives. It's just how the world works. So the, the world expects that of us now, you know, and that's why we've got to have the, uh, I guess, the systems in place to, to deliver on them. Yeah, they don't, I, don't think, I don't think folks particularly distinguish or give the rental industry uh, a hall pass for having substandard systems you know they just expect us to be where the world is you know and the business world has e-commerce so increasingly that's just going to be the uh, the baseline if you like it's just table stake stuff mm. yeah the fact that like customers in the future want to have their hands directly on like utilization data be able to terminate a rental or 
call off rent if you're in the US, like whatever it might be in terms of like being able to do things quickly, request an extension on a hire, uh, maybe reserve an additional item, maybe report a breakdown. You know, to do those things quickly rather than making a phone call, sending an email and waiting those extra days, having a live communication link with their hire supplier. Yeah, 100%. Just think that whole space will keep evolving. I think it's why you're seeing, uh, I guess, the technology guys in our business. You know, we're blessed to have a guy called Ben Waterhouse. You know, we, we both know a guy called Stuart Dean. It's, it, we're going to see these guys come through in the industry and not be seen just as, you know, I don't mean the word just as anything derogatory, but they're going to be seen as business process or business thought leaders. Um, they're going to be just as important or more important, more of a linchpin um, moving forward than, you know, I, I guess folks with the sort of background I've got, that will be less important and that technology piece will be more important. So expect to see guys like Ben and Stuart and um, other other technology savvy people taking on different and larger leadership roles um, in rental businesses as we move forward. Technology will only have a bigger part. It will never have a smaller part. I can't see it diminishing in any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that was going to be one of my follow-up questions. So let's fast forward to 2030, nine years time, 10 years time. What do you think the landscape of the equipment rental industry will look like in Australia? I think we've talked about some of it there. Uh, so technology, obviously, I think that's huge. And really trying to bring that in the smartest way, you know, some of the things you mentioned, um, the transactional on-hire off-rent, you know, log a breakdown or log a service, or I think those things will become just commonplace. But how do we help customers be smarter in equipment use? How, how do we... Um, as an industry, if you think about our, our, um, the cost inputs to a customer, there's, you know, there's the unit cost of an item, there's how many days they've got that piece of equipment and there's how many pieces of equipment's on their job. There's sort of like three factors going on in the cost equation, but everyone wants to talk about the unit cost, you know, how many dollars a day and let's have, let's have a dust up over you know, a couple of dollars on, an, on a rental item. It's probably the small part of the chat in real terms, even though that's a, a massive part of the procurement uh, focus. Um, I think we show value when we can uh, help customers manage all of the variables. So, and I think as an industry, it'd be smarter if we could deal with all of the variables and not just focus on price. I think uh, something that we're doing inside the Coates business that uh, I'm really fortunate to work with a guy called Rafi Chaporian and uh, RAF leads a different part of our business around engineering solutions. Um, and really what that means is we're providing um, installation service, um, we're providing monitoring services, we're providing, we do design um, the, the actual solution for the customer, whether it's hydraulic shoring or um, whether it's propping or whether it's water treatment. Um, it's quite technical, the solution. Um, and the customer is really just looking to, to outsource the problem. You give me the answer, you run the answer, you bring it, you, you sort it, you install it, you manage it, and you take it away. And we're seeing, I think we're seeing a growing trend in that solutions type uh, business. So whether that's from an industrial perspective around you know, maintenance shutdown work, or whether that's you know, RAF's businesses we just talked about in the engineering space, I think we'll see more and more of that solutions thinking. And I think we'll see more m and I think that's, just a constant in the background. And I'd like to think, and this is 
I don't know what you think, I'll ask you a question, Mark. Rental penetration is a bit of a challenge for us as an industry, I think, in Australia. When you look at where our rental penetration is, so about a third of equipment, you know, 35%, I think, is the statistic, goes into the rental channel, uh, where two-thirds goes into the ownership channel. Uh, and that's very different in different countries. Um, you know, in the UK, it's more like 80% goes rental, and similar in Japan. And America, I think, is about a 55% rental penetration, so that maybe 20 percentage points up on Australia. That's huge. I mean, how do we grow the pie? I'd like to think we can come up with more ideas around growing the pie as much as anything else. So grow the whole industry for the benefit of all the participants. Um, but yeah, the probably summary, technology, ever-increasing uh, part of it, solutions, um, ever-increasing part of it, uh, M&A activity, there'll be more and more of it. There'll be plenty of change. I think, I think that's the, the guarantee. Yeah, and it's interesting looking from the outside into the US at the moment, seeing the likes of Home Depot grow to being, I think they're in the top 10 now in the US for rental. Uh, and then Lowe's, which is like the equivalent of Bunnings, uh, it's getting to rental as well. And then Walmart has partnered with Sunbelt. So they're in they're in like a general tool rental space as well. It, it, is it just a matter? And Bunnings in Australia technically have a, a higher division, but it's nothing too crash hot. Like, do you, do you think it's just a matter of time before one of these major players in Australia partner with like Bunnings or Mitre 10? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. I guess I don't know enough about... Um, big box hardware chains, but, you know, I don't know what, what their biggest opportunities are. So they'll be chasing the biggest opportunity. And if that's white goods, then they'll be chasing that. And uh, Bunnings have certainly changed their online offering significantly and ramped that up. So look, at some point, I don't know where it is on the list, but at some point, um, you know, rental will be somewhere on the list and eventually might get to the top as it has overseas, as you point out. But I think, I think the, the whole low-cost manufacturing countries and the fact that you can go to uh, Bunnings and buy a really good water blaster for really not that much now, um, a couple hundred dollars gets you away. So rental items that were you know, just staple part of our inventory, um, that, that's kind of been removed from our inventory because it just makes sense to own it. So it gets back to that rental penetration piece. I was just sort of lamenting a little bit. Um, that's a factor that's actually taken in the reverse direction to what we would probably aspire to move in. Um, so I think um, I think those guys will definitely have an influence as, as much as the ownership pieces has probably impacted our general rental businesses collectively as an industry. Um, yeah, they could, they could take a different position and um, look to do something more significant like the, the guys in North America or Europe. So all of that's possible, I would reckon. Yeah, I just think that, and I'm not sort of predicting this is going to happen, but I, I, I just think it'd be very interesting to see what would happen if Bunnings opened up like the equivalent of Kennard's Hire, like more the general hire space, like a, like a single spot to go to get your, your, your uh, hardware goods and then your rental items at the same time. And then even more so being able to rent it online or buy it online. I, I just think that eventually something's going to happen there because, or maybe that I just don't think that Bones can do it on their own. Like they just don't, they might try and employ the people. I just don't think they have the right skill sets to start their own hire business. It needs to be some from one of the guys, like we spoke about, that understand rental, understand where technology fits into rental and sort of work it, work it through. But it'll be a very interesting space to watch over the next five to 10 years, I think. 
For sure, mate. You do, you do know it's just the front for a snag shop, don't you? <laughs> I tell you, I've been there a few times before footy. Um, so talking about small businesses, like what advice would you give to somebody that is looking at starting their own hire company? It's a tricky, tricky question to ask a guy working in uh, one of the <laughs> larger businesses, I guess. Look, I think, I think others have given some pretty good advice on the podcast, so I'm probably going over some of the advice that's previously been given, but the mentorship bit is pretty strong. Um, surrounding yourself with folks that have uh, been there and sort of gone through those challenges. I'd probably encourage people to do it, but do it, do it in a way, try and find uh, a little niche, whether that's a niche geography, product, service, whatever. I think you've got to have a point of differentiation. You've got to have a pretty clever business plan. And I think you've got to have um, some good folks around you that can, uh, I guess, challenge you in the right way to uh, ask the hard questions and really test you. Um, but with, with, um, within all of that, um, I don't know, I've, through the M&A piece, I've got, got to see and meet a whole lot of, of individuals over time and families over time. And um, I think it's a pretty cool thing to do. And uh, I personally always take my hat off. Um, you know, I guess I'm a business operator. I operate within someone else's uh, business. Uh, and I always take my hat off and super respect and kudos to the guys that have gone out and done it themselves. Um, different skill set. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a it's a real credit to folks to have a go, and uh, I would encourage them to have a have a crack. Yeah, no, I think so. I think it'll be interesting to see what the next few years looks like. I think with uh, things like rail and uh, all the projects going on in Australia, it, I've seen an increase in in independence bubble up, and it'll be interesting to see whether they get purchased by by one of the larger organisations like yourself, or whether it just continues to span out there, but. Yeah, I completely agree. If someone, you, you wouldn't want to be in a situation where you're like, oh, I could have started my own hire business. Give it a crack. Uh, as I had Braden Murren on the podcast and he was like, the beauty of, of hire is that if something goes wrong, you just take the equipment back and then rent it to someone else. So it's, um, it's something that I think you, yeah, if, you want, if you want to give it a crack, you should do it. And if it doesn't work out in the end, you're going to gain a lot of experience that you can bring to someone else's business in the end. 100%, mate. So talking about mentors, you, you mentioned that you should surround yourself with the right mentors and you've already mentioned a few people earlier in the podcast. Like who, who do you think were some key people that really influenced your career? So Mark, I got, as I said, I got lucky. So Neil Wallace, um, you know, industry fundamentals, awesome. For, for me, working at, at National, um, you know, Ron Lawson, Greg Parfit, Steve Donnelly, those guys, just learned so much from, from each and each and all of them. Um, you know, stepping into the uh, other predominant rental business in Australia, I learned so much from those guys, uh, culture, etc. Um, great learnings there. Uh, Bezo, Bill, those sort of fellas. I've got a little bit of learning from uh, a guy called Peter Lankin, who I think you, you might have heard of. Um, but I think there's, I think there's, you know, as I, as I mentioned, within my own business, currently being my own boss, yeah, he comes from a pretty diverse background, bigger industries, a guy called Murray Bitlidge, you know, logistics, rail, um, just, just a widely experienced guy. So at different points, I think you can be, um, you can be learning from so many different people. So I haven't had like one guy. Um, and I don't think many folks actually do have 
the one guy. Um, so I've learned from a, a lot of different guys. Um, and I think that, that that's helpful. I do think it gives you a broader base. But I think folks have got to probably push through and um, make sure they're learning is, is, you know, you shouldn't expect a mentor. A mentor is a two-way relationship. Um, you know, hopefully I was, I was helping to, uh, um, to challenge some of the people that were mentoring me. Hopefully, hopefully something went back the other way. But we should look at, it, at where else we learn. You know, there's, there's a guy called Dan Kaplan that wrote a book back in the 90s uh, called Service Success. Best book ever uh, on our rental industry. Um, so there's things like that. So he's not a mentor, but what a great resource um, and so much to learn out of that book. So... Mm, yeah, it's good to hear. I'll, um, I'll look up that book as well. And so if you could go back in time and give you, your younger self some advice, what would you say to yourself? It's a really tough one. And I think all of your uh, folks on this podcast struggle with this one a little bit. I'd probably appreciating how much technology is going to play going forward. I'd probably challenge myself to be more knowledgeable in it if I was looking backward. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky I work in a, in, you know, a great business. Coach business is a fantastic place to be. And I'm, I'm lucky I've got great resources. You know, Kirsty Mackay, Ben Waterhouse, great people to lean on. And they sort of support me there in that technology space. But I'd probably challenge myself to, to be stronger in, as an individual. I probably would, I don't think any of us can be too close to the numbers either. And to challenge your thinking, you can get into a sort of a set of norms and you start having benchmarks and rules of thumb that start to guide your life and occasionally you get challenged that maybe those numbers or parameters could be different and, and sometimes they can be. And uh, it's interesting to see that play out uh, and respect that as well. So it's probably how I'd answer the question, mate, but it's not the most awesome answer, I don't think. No, I think it's a pretty good answer. I think that's a really good example of, I think some people get stuck in the ways of thought and they don't think outside the box. And often when you get a new person into the business to share a different perspective, it only allows you then to open up your, your mindset of, oh, there is another way of doing things. There is other KPIs that we can set that aren't in a certain way. So I, I do like that answer, actually. I think it's quite good. So my final question is, is always one of the, the tough ones as well. So how do you define success? And what do you think was a defining moment for you? I'm going to start with the second part. I don't think I've necessarily had a defining moment, but I've, I've, I've had just a great journey in the rental industry. So, you know, we talked about some, some bigger, bigger deals that have happened in the past. Um, you know, I, I guess I probably would say defining moments are significant career transitions within the industry. So probably the first time I got to run a branch was a pretty big deal. The first time I got to run an area was a pretty big deal first time I got to run a state, et cetera. So I think those transitional, transitional pivots, if you like, and, and sometimes that, that was um, staying within the one organisation and occasionally that was shifting between organisations. Um, but probably not, not a single defining moment. I probably learnt as much about myself and anything else trying to do that Olympic sailing piece as, as much as the work stuff. You know, to work, to work with Victor as a coach, a Ukrainian guy. I mean, you want to see uh, a committed individual. He probably takes the, the absolute cake. Um, he's produced more medalists than, than anybody in Olympic yachting ever. So absolute best practice kind of thinking 
really pro progr programmatic, systematic. You just think about a Ukrainian person, they're pretty disciplined. Um, so the stereotype kind of works. So I learned heaps from, from, from that experience. So I don't know if they're all defining moments, but that, that's that piece. Um, around success, I think for me, just having my family in a good position is, is probably my definition of success. And that's, you know, it's, it's important for them to be socially right, emotionally right. Um, you know, I'd like to, uh, you know, hope they're financially right too, some future point, but just, just be the best version of yourself and make sure your family is in the best possible condition it can be. That, that's, that's what I'm working towards. And, um, and I can kind of stretch that definition from my personal family to my coach's family. So it kind of works for me thinking about it that way. Yeah, I think they're really good answers again. And I, I really appreciate your, um, your transparency in this whole conversation. It's, it's been a really good insight. And I think a lot of people are, were probably looking forward to hearing from, from you in the industry and being the, the person you are. And there's probably a few others that are on the list as well. And I'd be really looking forward to getting their, their input. But I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Well, thanks for providing the service, Mark. Really appreciate it. I think you do an awesome job and I think it adds a lot of value. So kudos to you for kicking this off. Please share, like, follow the Rental Journal podcast and I'll see everyone in next week's episode.